Welcome to Stories from the Revolution podcast. I'm John White. This is episode number 31. The revolution that we are talking about is the massive spiritual paradigm shift currently underway in the U.S. and around the world. In these stories, I'm describing what the revolution looks like and how you can join in. In the Luke 10 community, we've identified five core values. We think these values are at the heart of the revolution. Episode number 30, the last episode, was titled Culture Eats Strategy for Breakfast. And I want to, again, briefly review uh, what culture is because this concept is so important. So there are three words that we need to be clear about. Those three words are values, practices, and culture. All right, first of all, our values, values or core values. These are the fundamental beliefs that guide how we live. They are statements about what is important to us. The second word is practices. Our practices are how we tangibly live out those values in the world. They answer the question, how? How do we put this into practice? Sometimes we will use the word uh, uh, rhythms. This is another word for practices that emphasizes that they form a regular, repeated pattern of living. Another word that we might use is habits. These are all synonyms for practices. Habits, godly, settled behaviors that have become ingrained into our lives. They're what we do naturally. So all of us are in the process of developing these healthy, godly, spiritual habits. One other word that could be used with the word practice, it's a Hebrew word, a halakha, which simply means to walk. Walking, by definition, is a regular, repeated activity. So in Hebraic culture, they will, will often talk about halakha, the practices that are uh, repeated. This is how we walk. The third term is culture. Uh, our culture is made up of our values and our practices taken together. While our culture in Luke 10 is stated in very positive language, it is actually, if you understand it, it's actually pretty subversive. That is, it's subversive to much of the current church culture. Or we might say, that our culture is countercultural. And you will find that, that some people actually perceive it as dangerous or even threatening to current church culture. So uh, remember, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And the second statement we often make is we in Luke 10 will bang the drum gently but relentlessly for our culture. In case you can't tell, it's exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm banging the drum uh, gently but relentlessly. And we invite you to join in with us in banging that drum. All right. So what are our five core values? These are the, this, these are the drums that we beat here. And I'm going to give you an overview of these first, and then I'm going to dig into one of those more specifically. Our first core value is we are joy-fueled. 
So uh, we see joy as our primary source of motivation instead of obligation, duty, guilt, and shoulds, which sometimes was a key source of motivation in our past. Second core value, we are Jesus-led. Now, all of these things sound like, well, of course, but in fact, that hasn't always been true. So we are learning to continually listen for his voice, as he described in John 10, where Jesus said, my sheep are continually hearing my voice. This is instead of relying solely on our ability to figure things out. When we focus on figuring things out, this is often an expression of what we call functional deism. In future episodes, we'll unpack that term, functional deism. Our third core value is that we see church as an ecosystem of grace. So church is a collection, uh, an ecosystem of highly graced people where everyone gets to play. Um, Ephesians 4, 7 says, to each one of us, this is so key, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That results in participatory church, if we take that seriously. That's what 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says. When you come together, everyone has something to contribute. So participatory church in contrast with um, spectator church, which is what many of us were involved in in the past. This is part of the revolution. Uh, Spectator church versus participatory church. Fourth core value. We see leaders as mature spiritual moms and dads. Since the primary metaphor for church in the New Testament is family, it follows that leaders in a family are mature spiritual parents. Men and women who have the same skill set or very similar skill set as actual physical parents, healthy uh, physical parents, the skills are the same. Um, These skills in the revolution are prized more than the skills of great preaching or leading an organization. Those are not bad things. There's a place to that to some extent. But the skills of mature parents, we think, are even more important. This is what Paul demonstrated in 1 Thessalonians 2, where he said, We were like a mother to you caring for her children, and we were like a father with his children. This is the core, at the core of what Luke 10 is doing. This is, in fact, our mission statement. We want to connect and equip facilitators. But by the word facilitator, we mean spiritual moms and dads. Same idea. All right. Last core value, fifth core value. We believe that the best learning takes place in a community of practice. What is that? A community of practice. It's a learning environment where everyone is a practitioner. What this means is we're not just talking about theory. Um, everybody, I, have you noticed that on the on the uh, on Facebook, there are a lot of people that want to argue about theory of how church ought to be done and so on. Um, we we are a, a community of practitioners, and what that means is that everyone is both a teacher and a learner, instead of relying solely on a few great charismatic teachers. So this is Colossians 3, where it says, teach one another with all wisdom. So teaching one another. 
All right. In this episode, uh, I want to unpack a bit more about this quality of being joy-fueled. I have three things that I want to say about joy-fueled. Now, you may already know that this is the title of our first book, Joy-Fueled, and here's the subtitle, Catalyzing a Revolution of Joyful Communities. That's what we're about. So to go in depth into this value, if you haven't already, I recommend you go to Amazon and purchase either the written form of the book, which is available in hard copy or Kindle, or the audio version. Uh, I think the audio version is especially valuable in learning culture because it's something you can listen to over and over again in the car while you're working out or whatever. So that's the first thing to do to uh, really get a deeper sense of what we mean by being joy-fueled. But I want to add three more insights that will help you to fill your joy tank. John 15, 11, Jesus says, uh, he says, uh, we see that it's his desire for you and me that our joy tank would be full. Here's what he said. I have told you these things so that my joy would be in you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus's desire is that his joy would be in us. To what extent? Well, the next phrase is so that your joy would be filled to overflowing. Uh, if we think about a joy tank or a cup, um, his goal is that it would be filled to overflowing. So three things that can move us in that direction. Number one, and you've heard this before, but I can't repeat it enough, the definition of joy. The first time I heard this, I was delighted. I thought, finally, somebody has actually given me a practical definition of joy. I think it's consistent. This is the cool thing. It's consistent with both scripture and brain science. Here's what it is. What my brain experiences when I am with someone, I think someone starting with Jesus, who is glad to be with me no matter what. Or another way to say it, it's when I am the sparkle in someone's eye. So joy is, first of all, relational. Now, that definition leads us to the second insight. And that is that joy is physical. We don't think of it that way. We think of it just as an emotion. And it is that. But it's more than that. So joy engages our bodies. When someone is glad to be with me, their joy is communicated primarily through their face and especially their eyes. So my physical eyes see their face and I can discern that they are happy to be with me, glad to be with me. And physical neural circuits in my brain light up. So without me even painting a picture, I think you intuitively know uh, what communicates joy through a face. Even if I'm not physically present with that person, um, a, a memory of a time when I was with them and they were glad to be with me also causes those same neural circuits to light up. In addition to our face, the tone of voice also communicates joy. This is even more than the contents of the words. It's the tone. So when somebody says, I am so glad to be with you, and you, you feel the importance of that, you hear that through your ears. I just continue to think the best picture of this is of a baby with their parents. And the picture I have is uh, babies in the crib, maybe waking up from a nap. I had two daughters, and I can just see this. <clears throat> waking up from a nap. And the parent hears this and they kind of open the door and they look in 
and the baby sees his mom or his dad and the baby's face just immediately lights up this delight they don't even have a word yet but the face says oh it's my mom it's my dad i'm so happy to see you and the parent sees the baby's face and something happens to the parent and their face lights up and they communicate back and forth through their eyes and maybe through some language as well. Maybe it's just baby talk, but there is just this delight that goes back and forth between the parent and the child. That is such a wonderful picture of joy. And I think the same kinds of things are true for us as adults. So that's the second insight is that joy is in, engages our physical being. All right, number three, I wanna to talk to you about a, a particular prayer in the, the Bible that requests joy from God. There's so much that we can learn from this prayer, but I wanna share some introductory things about the prayer before I actually tell you what it is. You might be able to guess what it is as I go along. So first of all, this is a prayer that was commanded by God which tells us so much about God. It tells us what's important to him. He wants our joy to be overflowing. He wants our joy tank to be full. And he wants to be the first and most important source of joy. This is the God who is glad to be with us no matter what. And this particular prayer, it really comes across. Second, this prayer um, has been prayed thousands, maybe millions of times. This is a very well-known prayer. Third, it's a prayer in the Old Testament. And the situation is that Aaron and his sons were commanded by God to pray this prayer on the behalf of the people of God. So what you need to know is that Aaron and his sons were the priests within the people of Israel. And if we go into the New Testament, 1 Peter 2 tells us that all of us are priests, that we are a royal priesthood. So... What it means is that this is a prayer that we, as followers of Jesus and as priests of his kingdom, should be praying for his people. Next, it's important to learn the true meaning of the words of this prayer. You may have heard it many times, so many times that it kind of doesn't register anymore. But when you hear the true meaning, I think it'll come alive for you and you will see why this is so important, why God commanded that the priest would pray this prayer over God's people. Next insight is it's important to know that this is Hebrew poetry. Um, in Hebrew poetry, uh, it's not so much about rhyming the, the sounds of the words, you know, roses are red, violets are blue, that kind of thing, but it's more about rhyming the meaning. And so the way they do that is they will say the same thing or similar thing like two different times or three different times. So it's similar, but it's different. And each repetition uh, adds to the meaning. You get new insights, new color to what's being communicated. And in this particular prayer, there are three uh, statements, three requests that are, that are being made. Finally, uh, the, uh, each of these three lines consists of two verbs. This is what the priest is asking God to do. That's the first verb, what the priest is asking God to do. And then the result is uh, uh, what, what God is doing. And then lastly, please notice the emphasis on the face in this prayer, the face of God. This, again, is the physical dimensions of the prayer for joy. All right, 
You probably guessed it by now, but this is the prayer that we find in Numbers chapter six in the Old Testament. I'll share with you the NIV version and then kind of unpack what I think is the, the deeper meaning of this. Number six, uh, starting with verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses. This is coming from God. This is God's commandment, God's idea. Spoke to Moses saying, Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons. Say this to them. Thus, you shall bless the people of Israel. And remember the word to bless in Hebrew means to empower, to prosper. Um, this is a prayer for prosperity, prosperity of every kind. And you shall say to them, you know, when God gives you the words of a prayer to pray, this is this is probably pretty important, right? Here's the first line. The Lord bless you and keep you. There's that word bless again. They are requesting God to empower his people for prosperity. And then keep you is the part to guard you, to protect you, maybe guard the prosperity that he brings. Uh, a lot of times the enemy wants to steal it away. That's the first line. The Lord bless you and keep you. Second line. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Here's a great paraphrase of this, again, from Jim Wilder. He says, and I think this captures the, the true meaning of this second line of this prayer. May you feel the joy of God's face shining on you because he is happy to be with you. Ah, oh, that is so good. Let me say it again. May you feel the joy of God's face shining on you because he is so happy to be with you. Isn't that something that you want to pray for your spouse or your children or your friends? The message version says it this way. May God smile on you. Same idea. It's an invitation, I think, to an intimate, joyful, conversational relationship with Jesus. The one who is so happy to be with you, and it's communicated through his face. Third line. See face again here. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I think the message version, again, captures the idea. May God look you full in the face. It's this face-to-face -face encounter with God that changes us. This is a right brain activity. And the result of that, peace. You want more peace? And again, shalom in Hebrew, which means wholeness, health, well-being, inner harmony, prosperity. Where does that come from? From a face-to-face -face encounter with the living God. So what do we do with all this? I've got three recommendations. Number one, I highly recommend a book by the name, uh, the title of The Other Half of Church. This is a church, uh, this is a book written by Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. And they talk about the, the importance of whole brain discipleship. Remember left brain, right brain? Left brain is the part of our brain that is linear, analytical, it's about information, it's important. But in the past, a lot of our discipleship uh, programs have been mainly left brain, memorize these scriptures, here's developed a strategy. But what they're now dis discovering is that for sustainable transformation, it's critical that our right brain is engaged. This is the part of our brain that has to do with emotions and relationship. I think it's seeing God's face, and it's sort of a sort of a holy imagination that we use to do this, which engages our right brain. So the book is about whole-brained Christianity, 
And it's got some great stuff about seeing God's face and the importance of that. So that's my first recommendation. Second, I encourage you to pray this prayer for yourself. Turn this into a request that you are making to the Lord, maybe on a daily basis. Tell God that you want to increase your ability to see his face shining on you. You want what he's promised, and that is that your joy would be made full. I mean, think about where's your joy tank right now? Is it is it full? Is it half full, quarter full? Where is it? And tell the Lord that, that you want your joy tank to be filled to the brim and for him, ask for his help in how to do that. Um, you want to experience the emotion, the right brain feeling that he is happy to be with you. This is foundational. I mean, everything grows out of this, doesn't it? I mean, this is key for any family growing up. If you grew up in a family where your mom and or dad, where you knew that they were happy to be with you no matter what, doesn't mean that you didn't do things wrong or there weren't times when they were angry with you or whatever else. But generally speaking, uh, they were glad to be with you. That that totally shapes your brain in some important ways. So second thing is pray this prayer for yourself. Third thing, pray this prayer for other people, starting with your family. Uh, I've said enough about how you might do that. What does this have to do with the core values of the Luke 10 community and with the revolution? Well, again, let's go back to our book, uh, Joy Fueled, and the subtitle, Catalyzing a Revolution of Joy-Fueled Communities. That's what we're after. That's what the revolution is about. So um, here is a very specific practice or rhythm. Remember, a rhythm is a repeated practice. It's a way of walking. And what is it? Learn this prayer. Learn to paraphrase it so that it comes alive for you and others. And then as a part of your duties, as a, a royal priest, begin to do what God instructed Aaron to do, Aaron and his sons. Pray this over yourself, over your family, over your community. Um, it is God who creates joy-fueled communities. And we want to see these joy-fueled communities multiply across the face of the earth. The Luke 10 vision is that there'll be one of these communities within easy access sometimes we say within walking distance, of every person in every region and people group on the earth. We think that's Jesus's strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission. So um, it's God who creates joy-fueled communities, but he himself encourages us to ask so that we can experience his joy through his smiling face. Joy-fueled followers of Jesus and joy-fueled communities. We think this is central to what the revolution is all about, the revolution that is underway. So for now, this is John White. I am personally excited to be part of the revolution with you. So I encourage you today, go and be a joy spreader.